It's good to be here today, isn't it? Um, you know, I was, I was telling Ryan and Jay yesterday, um, the weather this weekend, Chris mentioned it, and you guys are rock stars f- for being here. In fact, I think you just need to give yourselves a little round of applause for being here today and not, you know, I mean, it was, it's going to be in the 70s. Um, and then next week it's going to snow or something. I don't know. It's, you know, uh, I had this moment yesterday where I was like, it is so nice outside. If I weren't preaching, <laughs> would I come to, that's a weird question to ask yourself when you're preparing to preach. Um, and to, but it is, it is so good to be here. It's an honor to be preaching from God's word. It's an honor for us to open God's word every weekend, right? Yeah. We believe in God's word, yeah. do we not? Yeah. We believe in the truth from God's word. Right. We are in the deep end of the pool, yeah. the very, very beginning, as it says in the sound of music, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. We are starting at the very beginning. We are in week three of, of our series called Genesis. Uh, three weeks or two weeks ago, Jason began the series uh, talking about in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God, we talked about uh, theology, what we believe. Theology is kind of a, a fancy word for theos is God, ology is study of or knowledge of. So theology is really just what we think about God. So when you say to someone, I believe God is love, that's theology. Did you know you're a theologian? Hmm, well, I, I thought I was astute. You know, like, you're a theologian. Or we believe that God, some people, I believe God is angry. That's theology. I believe that God doesn't care about me. That's theology. That's what you believe about God. We're, we're in the deep end of the pool asking some really serious questions about God. Jason, two weeks ago, began the series. In the beginning, we talked about creation Last week, Ryan spoke on the image of God. Were you here the last couple weeks? Have you been here with us the last couple weeks? Ryan started, uh, he had three points last week and and I'm kind of picking up where Ryan left off uh, on the image of God and really uh, the purpose of mankind. The calling of humanity is what we're going into today. Ryan began with value that every single person on this planet has been stamped with the image of God and that, that produces inherently every single person has value. Amen. Every person has value. People that don't look like you, people that don't talk like us, people that are from other countries, people that are from uh, 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 other language groups, other ethnic, ethnic groups, people from the other side of the aisle, politically, your neighbor who let his dog poop in your yard yesterday, unbelievable, the, the nerve, the gall, everyone. And so not only does value communicate uh, how we're to view ourselves, it's, it actually communicates how we're to view other people. These are foundational parts uh, of scripture, foundational parts of what we believe um, as Christ followers. Ryan went into identity and specifically we honed into sexual identity. And this is not a popular topic in our culture. It makes most of us, I mean, I was looking around the room last week. It makes most of us squirm because it's so taboo in our culture to talk about what does God say about that? 
You know that God's word steps on people's toes. Does it step on your toes when you open up God's word? Do you let it step on your toes? I feel like it just sits here most of the time when I'm reading it, just right there. I'm like, really? You gotta say that about that, about me, about what I'm struggling with? Truth of identity. And, th and then Ryan went into purpose. And that's where we're landing today. After all the pronunciations of goodness over all the habitats and denizens of creation, features, creatures, every ecosystem that God spoke into being, God steps back. He looks and there's a major missing piece, nothing that bears his image, nothing that has his likeness to it. So God says, let us make one and only one work of creation whose purpose it is to be my image and to be my likeness to the world, whose purpose. Everyone say purpose. Now, um, in this series, I just want to kind of level with everyone. We are asking questions, especially in Genesis chapters 1 to 11, that are some of the most foundational questions. And because of it, um, Ryan and Jay and I, in the last three weeks, have spent over 80 hours in preparation for these messages. We are asking the same questions you're asking. We're having the same conversations you're having. We're wondering the same wonderments that you're wondering. We're digging in, and this is serious. Right. You know, so often I'm tempted to talk about like the walls of the house or the roof of the house. I wanna talk about, you know, like we see these signs all over our, um, in our community to like be kind. We wanna talk about the symptom of like, hey, how can we show kindness? You, you know that being kind is an action that is derived from a whole belief system. You know, we're, so often we're caught talking about the roof or the walls of the house and we're missing the foundation. We are in foundation in this series. Here are some of the questions that we're asking and seeking Genesis and God's word to answer. Who is God? Have you asked that question before? I hope. I hope. Who is God? What is God like? Is he angry? Is he vindictive? Is he indifferent? Is he happy? Is he loving? Is he gracious? What, what is God like? How about these two questions that we've gone after these last two weeks? Who am I? Who am I? Why do I exist? Why do I exist? We, as we go into these questions and as we go into not just the identity of humanity, but what God speaks in Genesis chapter one, we're still in Genesis chapter one this week. We could probably camp out in Genesis chapter one for like weeks or months to come, but this is our last week in Genesis chapter one. We'll be in Genesis chapter two next week. And then in three, we'll be talking about the fall. And then we'll be in Cain and Abel's story and Noah and all of these different stories throughout the book of Genesis that, that help describe who are we and what is God like? Who is this God that we're serving, that we sing songs to? Who is he? What is he like? He's not made in our image. And it's not just what we think about him or what we feel about him. We wanna to go to his word to ask the question, God, what, who are you? What are you like? I've got this video that I want us to start with um, that talks about image of God and starts to go into the purpose of man. Check this out. 
So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. Gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Hmm, we're gonna stop video there. We'll catch the rest of it later. Um, I just want to say I love that a pizza was right up there and a soccer ball. I feel like they made this video for me, plus toilet paper. That's pretty good, too. Who's thankful for toilet paper? Come on now. That's weird, but yeah, uh, we are. We're grateful. It's the little things. You know, this week, um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and we're asking this question, why? We're asking the question, why create humanity? Why human beings? Why gets at purpose? Why gets at meaning? It points toward meaning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we're going to begin, we see the first word that leads us to why, the first words that lead us to why. As we read together, um, just be focusing in, be observing. What is it that God says uh, what is it that he's leading us to? Um, you know, do some Bible study with me this morning uh, here at church. Let's read together. We've got it up on the screen. 
Genesis chapter one, be looking for things that point toward our white hot why. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. One version says the creeping things that creep along the ground. I love that. Let's just say that. Over all the creeping things that creep along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. They were it's kind of indicative of, I think they were vegetarians before the fall, so... That's kind of sad for some of us because we love bacon. But nevertheless, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that, he had, that all that he had made was, was good. God saw all that he had made and it was not just good. It was very good. This is the first time where God changes some of the language. He puts extra emphasis on the goodness, on the beauty at the end of the sixth day. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Did you see the words that kind of direct us to the why? Right there in verse 26, the first verse. Let me read it again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So that. Two pretty simple words, so that, that lead us to what's our so that? And, or another way of saying it, what's our because? If someone asks you, why would you be kind to someone? Why would you go and tell other people about Jesus? Why would you live a, a life obedient to Christ? The answer that you give, you, you start with because, so that this is our purpose, so that. It's God's indicator of purpose and position and occupation even. In the verses to follow, we see God's image imparted on Adam and Eve for a specific calling, a job, or as we say today, work. Work. Work, work, taking I like singing stuff randomly. Job, a job, work. I, I, I watched a TED Talk this week. Um, I'm not sure if you like TED Talks. I love them. I find them fascinating. I watched this TED Talk this week from Tony Lloyd. It was on the purpose of work. From, and, and he did this TED Talk in 2019. And he's a, Fortune 5, a former Fortune 500 executive. His network is expansive and extensive. And he asked this question as a student, as a scholar of work, of, uh, of uh, purpose and of uh, what people do, their jobs. He asked this question on social media. He asked people to fill or to complete this sentence. And it goes like this, work is what? I kind of want to do it this morning. How would you finish this statement? 
Go ahead. Necessary. Necessary. Hard. Hard. What's that? Stressful. Stressful. All right. That was, yeah, I like that. Stressful. Okay. It's rewarding, needed, fulfilling. Yeah, I like that. Consuming. All right, now I'm getting confused. There's too many people answering. Work is, you know, so what, what Lloyd found was that people responded and they were split about 50-50 for positive answers. Positive answers, like it's awesome. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, it's incredible. It's fulfilling. And negative answers like work sucks <laughs> or work is terrible or um, work is the worst or work is grueling. It was about 50-50, but Lloyd also presented an opportunity for people to reply, uh, not just publicly. So publicly it was 50-50, but he also uh, provided an opportunity for them to reply uh, privately and just direct message him. And then the statistics changed a little bit. Do you want to take a guess what the statistics were like? Positive to negative. What do you think negative percentage was? 80? Higher. 90, 98%. Once people could, um, once people could be anonymous and, and, uh, and kind of be uh, less public, it was 98% of people that said negative things about their work. Work is negative. And here were some of the words that they used that were, so, that were the most common, confusing. It's chaotic. It's crushing. I actually had a conversation with a friend just um, just a couple days ago, and we were talking about her work, and um, she she used the word of her work. I feel like I'm drowning. Someone said back here, uh, it's stressful. You know, anxiety, uh, anxiety, stress, suicidal ideation. All these things are through the roof in part because of the pressures of how we define and how we navigate this thing called work. I did some, uh, <clears throat> some research this week and I started by doing a Google search and this is what I came up with. All I typed in was working and then Google is trying, you know how Google tries to fill in the rest of, of your um, statement? And this is what they filled out. Working a job you hate, working from home, working with someone you hate, working solutions, working is a waste of your life. Working nine to five is a waste of your life. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't even started this study. I haven't even completed my sentence. And this is what's coming up. This is our culture. Yeah. Working a job you hate, working with someone you hate. And yeah, I also, I was doing some research. Um, I was uh, in the deep end of the pool with research statistics. I was um, reading a document that was published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics for 2021. Pages and pages and pages of statistics, of numbers, how we spend our time, what we do in free time, how much time uh, Americans are watching TV, how much time Americans are doing specific jobs. 77% of Americans who have worked full-time have experienced burnout at their jobs. 48% believe they are workaholics, yet 30% do their job just to get by. From the Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2021, uh, of those who are working, uh, adults, um, so they, they're factoring all Americans. So really the statistic for average hours of work per day, also including kids, 
um, and retired is like three hours or something like that. So that's not very helpful. For those that are working, working adults, how many hours a day is a typical work day? And it's 8.1. So like an eight hour day, eight hour day, um, Monday to Friday. If you spend 40 hours a week working from 18 until retirement at 66, factoring even vacations, you'll spend over 94,000 hours working. That's over 10, 10 to 15 years of your life at work. Um, that's not factoring in other years of work. In 2021, there were 162 million Americans working 15 years old and over. 78% of people were engaged in household activities or work each day. So this is work before or after work. The average there was 2.47, two and a half hours doing household work, lawn and garden work, food prep, household management. That's over 900 hours a year on work outside of work, an extra 30,000 to 40,000 hours of your life doing work outside of work. I thought about my day. I wake up in the morning and I work to get my kids ready for school. And that is work. Come on, parents. Can, can I hear an amen? So then I go to work. And then I, after work, I go to the gym to work out. And then after working out, I come home and we work to get dinner ready. Then we work to clean up after dinner. Then we're working to, uh, to do laundry and dishes to get our kids to do homework. And then we go to bed and uh, you know, rinse, repeat the next day. You know, Work is, I mean, it's, it's so much a part of our lives. We don't even think about it. Or when we do think about it, we just get depressed. Some of you for decades of your life, you know, I was thinking about this this week. Um, in some ways, this is one of the most difficult topics for me to preach on because some of you have, have for decades of your life resigned yourself to a job or a task that is so meaningless to you that you just go through the motions. You clock in, clock out you're checked out. And I'm telling you today, what God's word tells us right here in Genesis chapter one is that you have a purpose, right? Amen. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have meaning. I mean, to everything that you're doing, every part of what you're doing, if you're changing diapers, there is meaning in changing diapers. If you're sweeping floors, there's meaning in sweeping floors. If you're a factory worker and, and you're ticked off with, with your boss and your coworkers, there's meaning. You can actually bring and find meaning in the mundane. I, I think our world is hungry for it. They're desperate for it. And it doesn't happen by you just saying, I'm gonna change my actions. It actually starts right here in Genesis chapter one. It starts with you changing how, what you believe about who you are and why you exist. And that changes everything. Work matters. I spent this week looking at books on work. There's deep work, there's do the work, there's the art of being indispensable at work, there's work life, there's atomic habits, which is all about work. There's this book on my shelf that I have called uh, Getting Things Done. Have you read that book? Ironically enough, I didn't finish that book. <laughs> so, yeah. Work matters. It's how we spend a massive portion of our lives and most importantly, it's our calling. Have you heard the word calling before? Is that confusing? 
Some of you, I was thinking about it. If I didn't grow up in the church and wasn't so accustomed to the word calling, calling would be confusing to me. I'd hear, hey, what's your calling? And I'd be like, what are you, t- like, what are you talking about? Is it like from a landline? What kind of cell phone are they using? Who's calling? Is it, it's really a confusing. And, and so I wanna actually go to a, a word that we're much more familiar with, the word vocation. Vocation helps us kind of even define what we mean by calling. Vocation comes from a Latin word, vocare, which is to hear the voice of one. Vocation comes, it's, it's actually connected to vocal. And it's for us to hear the call from one voice. This is us as Adam and Eve in the garden, hearing the Lord say, this is what I want you to do. This is why I've created you. This is my so that. We're going after three things today from this text, three things that God speaks over his creation, over us as humanity um, from Genesis chapter one. And, the, and they're found in verse uh, first and verse 28. God says this, be fruitful, or in other words, produce. Church, this is one of the most essential callings that God gives to all humanity. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. I love that God uses fruit as the analogy here for this command. Adam and Eve are in the garden, much like this. We're in a garden. I love that our set design team changed our worship space into a garden. You know, they're in the garden of Eden. This is pre-fall, so I just can't even imagine. I love the harvest time. We're in harvest season. I love seeing the fruit of the labor of, of our farmers and in, in our agrarian community. I love it. My wife does our garden and, and seeing tomatoes that are ripening or peppers or squash or zucchini, it's beautiful. God says to Adam and Eve who are in this garden, he says, be fruitful. I wonder if they're looking around and they're, they're tasting, you know, a strawberry. They're, you know, sinking their teeth into an apple. And God says, be fruitful. And they're immediately taken to this, this farming image. This, um, this metaphor shows up all throughout scripture. In fact, Jesus, some of his parables, you know, the, he gives one parable um, talking about the sower and the seed. What kind of seed are you scattering? What kind of ground is it falling on? Jesus uh, gives another analogy. He says, uh, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And you're supposed to produce fruit. And if you don't produce fruit, my father in heaven, he cuts off those branches and he throws them away. And those that do produce fruit, he prunes them, ouch. He prunes them so that they'll produce more fruit. Paul takes it in in the book of Galatians. It's actually a verse. It's probably, uh, it's in my top three verses to speak over my kids on the way to school each day. Do you pray for your kids on the way to school? Do you pray for them before school? Uh, the first thing that I pray over them all the time is that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they would love their neighbor as themselves. The second one is this right up here, and it's from Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, 
It's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is what theologians call in this part of um, our text in Genesis chapter one, it's called the creation mandate or cultural mandate, which culture comes from another Latin word, which means to cultivate, to create, to tend. It's like what we watched in the video, God gives you the shovel and you're the gardener. What are you going to create? How are you going to tend the earth? What are you going to grow? What are you going to produce? God's created you and I to be a creator, to be a, a producer of things. What are you producing? We actually, we have, um, I'm not sure if you knew this, but our, we have a board, a governance board called the LAT, the Leadership Accountability Team. They meet every month and just recently in the last month or two, they, um, they voted to add this statement up on the screen. They added this statement to our mission principles and it looks like this. Do you notice some of the words in it? To create spirit-filled community and become disciples who cultivate, again, tending, cultivating their belief in and obedience to the living word. What fruit are you bearing? Is it fruit that lasts? Is it good and pleasing and beneficial? The Lord goes on though, and he says this, he says, be fruitful and what's the next part? Multiply, increase in number. Multiply or have babies, okay? So let's talk about what this means. Let's talk birds and the bees, okay? When a man and a woman love, no, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do that, <laughs> okay? All right, the, the first part of the command, this is not unlike actually the command that happens in, earlier on the sixth day where God creates um, the animals and he says to the animals, actually, this is kind of a command that he gives to them. He says, uh, multiply, fill the earth, birds. You animals, fill the earth. Multiply. What's different in this command toward humanity is not the explicit part of the command, which is biological procreation, but the implicit command, spiritual procreation. Did you know that you can fulfill this command without having babies? I mean, this actually, this is kind of shown throughout the rest of scripture. I mean, we could go into the New Testament. Paul didn't get married, didn't have kids. Jesus didn't get married or have kids. Jesus still fulfilled this command to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, you could probably, you could, not probably, we, we can make uh, a sound theological case that of all the people who bore God's image and reproduced God's image, it was Jesus, right? Hello, he is the incarnate God. Be fruitful and multiply. The explicit command is biological procreation. The implicit command is spiritual procreation. Marcus wrote it this way in our devotional this week. I'm not sure if you've been reading through the devotional, but I encourage you that we still have some out in the lobby. Pick one up. Um, I loved how he penned this this week, talking about multiplication. And he wrote this, whether you know it or not, you are multiplying your likeness into the world even if you haven't had children. God has given us the capacity to influence one another, even if we're not exercising that capacity intentionally. We are always perpetuating something, perpetuating a bad attitude and a critical spirit, perpetuating joy and hopeful anticipation. 
perpetuating addictive behaviors and withdrawal, perpetuating kindness and gentleness. Whatever we are, we are perpetuating. We had a conversation as a staff that kind of led us even to um, uh, the theme for this year on uh, hungering for God. We had a conversation as a staff about a year ago uh, and we asked this question, what, how do you define discipleship? What is discipleship? Um, and I don't know if you've thought about this. You are a disciple creating disciples of something. Always at work, when you complain, you're making a disciple of yourself. Uh, did you know that so psychologists and sociologists would um, have proven this uh, statistically? You will become like the five people that you spend the most time with. You're a disciple of theirs and they are a disciple of yours. What are you, what are you perpetuating? What are you multiplying? Is it God's image? Is it his likeness? Is it goodness? Is it redemption? What are you multiplying? The third thing, the third command though, is one that's kind of confusing for, I think it's confusing for me, especially in 21st century America, and it's rule. Be fruitful, multiply, and rule. The, the words that we get here in the text are subdue. <clears throat> uh, you have dominion, you, have, you need to subdue, you need to rule, you need to reign. This is not a word that we use much, at least when, when we use it, it's not in a positive sense, unless you're like a child of the 80s or the 90s. You rule, man. Like that's probably the only way that it was ever used positively. We don't use this of our, of our leaders, do we? You don't call our president our ruler. Does that feel weird? Ew, my ruler. Yet God calls us here pre-fall to rule. He calls us to have dominion and to reign. There are, pri there are five primary covenants in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the scriptures. <clears throat> and two of them actually come up here in the book of Genesis. And we're gonna be talking about them in weeks to come a little bit more. One uh, was with Noah, one was, was with Abraham, one was with Moses, one with David, and then one in the new covenant in the New Testament with Jesus. And um, these, a covenant is more than a contract. Um, it's this relationship, this agreement in a relationship of, of mutual understanding, mutual care, um, and specifically defined roles. It's, it's actually um, the first time we see a covenant, the reason I'm bringing it up now is that the first time we see a covenant implied is right here in Genesis chapter one, where God is giving humanity a role or a reign. Uh, in ancient Near East culture, there was this term called, and we've got it up here on the screen, there's this term called a suzerain vassal covenant. <clears throat> and what happened in a suzerain vassal covenant is there is a suzerain or a great king, a great leader, a powerful leader, one that has more land, more power, more authority, and a vassal who's a lesser ruler, but they are a ruler. And the vassal takes on parts of the greater kingdom to rule and to reign. We see it even in some of Jesus' parables where the master goes away and he gives to his servants or his vassals uh, one, to one 10 bags, to one five bags, or two, five bags, two bags, one bag uh, of gold, and they're supposed to do something with it. 
A suzerain vassal covenant is where, how it plays out here in Genesis chapter one is God is the great ruler and he gives a scepter to humanity. God is the great creator and he calls Adam and Eve to create. God creates and he invites Adam and Eve to create. God names and he invites Adam and Eve to name. God rules and he invites Adam and Eve to rule. God multiplies and he invites Adam and Eve to multiply. This is a a beautiful relationship that God has called um, us, humanity, to take part in. Um, But we we did something that's, uh, that's, pretty unconscionable in Genesis chapter three, and I'm not going to preach on Genesis chapter three because we'll be there in a couple of weeks. But in Genesis chapter three, there's a serpent that comes onto the scene. And here is Adam and Eve, and they are tending, they have the scepter, they are tending the garden. And the, the, the serpent calls the vassal to overthrow or to overstep this covenant, to break this covenant with the great king, the God of all creation, the great suzerain. And by doing so, Adam and Eve, we give the scepter to the serpent. Have you ever wondered in Job chapter one why Satan was invited on the council at all? Have you wondered throughout scripture when Satan's called the prince of the earth? How does he have authority? You know how he has authority? Because we, the vassal in chapter one of the book of Genesis, gave him the scepter. And we still do today. Do you want to take back this, this scepter? Do you want to take it back today? You know, Satan only has authority when we give him authority. He only has rule and reign when we give him rule and reign. And we gave it away in Genesis. God gave us, he called us into this covenant. And we had this commission to rule and to reign, not with abusive power, not, not with all of this kind of uh, force and, and, um, and abuse that we see all the time now, but, but with care, with tending, and we gave it away. It's the reason that in Job chapter one, Job is at the council. You know who's supposed to be at the council? Us. But we gave it away. We gave him rule. We gave him reign. God calls us this word here in Hebrew, um, it means to subdue, to rule over, even to bring into bondage. Um, and again, these aren't positive terms usually for us. And, and I, I just want us to almost redefine them. There, this does not mean that we do this in a corrupt or abusive way, but in a way that brings goodness. Paul in the New Testament, he redefines bondage even. And he says, he calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a positive thing. I am in, I am a bondservant. I am loyal to the great suzerain and I am going to be a vassal that uses my autonomy, my rule and my reign, the agency that God gave me to bring goodness, to bring cultivation to the ground, to bring and produce fruit, to multiply. And so Paul did, the greatest missionary goes and he multiplies. He evangelizes. What are you ruling and reigning? Church, what have you abdicated that you need to step into? How have you given away the scepter of work, of meaning, of purpose over to Satan himself? 
Where do you need to take it back? I want us to watch the rest of this, this video on the image of God and the purpose of humanity. Check this out. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they gonna use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So... Practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. I was talking with our lead pastor, Jason, this week about work. In our conversation, he sent over to me a brief self-reflection about work that he took himself through recently. Here it is. And I want you to ask these questions of yourself. How do you define the difference between these words? Job and task, employment and pay, occupation and skill, career and profession, work and labor, assignment and mission. Church, how you view what you do makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Studs Turkel wrote a book um, back in the 90s, and I just want to say, if anyone's pregnant in here, just think about Studs as a name. Just throw it into the pot. It'd be amazing, okay, all right? Think about it, all right? Studs Turkel wrote a book um, where he compiled stories of people from almost every industry of work. 
The, the book is 600 to 700 pages in length. Um, pretty incredible, these stories that he collects. And in it, he concludes, most people live somewhere between a grudging acceptance of their job and an active dislike of it. Man, this is such a broken part of humanity. Our calling, our purpose, our identity, our identity being played out <laughs> in our calling. Ours can shift, church, from a begrudging acceptance or an active dislike to a redeemed passion, a purposeful mindset on our God-given call, our, remember the word, vocation. What we hear from our creator that woos us and that commissions us. Nicholas Herman was a friar in the 1600s in France. His vocation, the cook of a monastery. He was the guy who cleans up the scraps, the one behind the scenes. He wasn't the Pope, the King, an important ruler, but he wrote one of the most compelling works uh, that we have to this day on, on work. He wrote one of the most compelling works on work that's ever been written. His more common name was Brother Lawrence. And his book was Practicing the Presence of God. Here's an excerpt where he's writing about his work and another leader is writing about his work. And listen to this, that our sanctification or our holiness did not depend on changing our works, changing what you do, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. That it was lamentable to see how many people mistook the means for the ends, addicting themselves to certain works or I would even add being apathetic or anxious about or completely overtaken by certain works, which they performed very imperfectly by reason of their human or selfish regards. That the most excellent method, which he, Brother Lawrence, found of going to God was that of doing our common business without any view of pleasing men and as far as we are able purely for the love of God for the love of our creator, in obedience to his calling that says, be fruitful, multiply, rule, subdue my image. I wanna end today with a prayer from Brother Lawrence. Um, this is one that he prayed every single day before he went to work. This is one that he prayed every single day as he was going and washing dishes. Um, if you want, I can send it to you uh, this week. I hope that this would be something that tomorrow as you go to work, that today as you go home to work, that the rest of this week as you do work in a multitude of ways, that this would be our prayer. This would be our heart's cry of submitting ourselves, our calling to our creator. Let's pray. My God, since you are with me, and I must now in obedience to your commands, apply my mind to these outward things. I ask you to grant in me to continue in your presence and to this end, do prosper me with your assistance. Receive all my works and possess all my affections. God, would you receive all our works Help us to go, to be your representation, 
to do good works, to multiply your image, to bear good fruit, to rule and to reign in a way that is redemptive. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. If you wanna pray afterward, the prayer team is right up here. You are now commissioned to go bear fruit, to multiply. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.